0: For me, it's an obligation to have fun. It's an obligation to see the good in people. There is no time to put my energy in negative things.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. Today, I'm talking to Luca Nakedo. Luca is a multidisciplinary designer and art director, working across a diverse array of projects including furniture, lighting, spaces, textiles, products, brands, curated exhibits, and well, anything that Luca finds interesting and pulled towards. Born in Venice, Italy, he grew up on the islands of Murano, steeped in the glassmaking traditions of the region and of his ancestors. In youth, he developed his talents for basketball and design side by side, excelling at both, but eventually deciding on design for the professional route. After a successful start, he opened his own practice, Niketo Studio, in 2006, in his familiar home of Venice. And then, only five years later, and in support of his wife and starting a family, he moved to Stockholm, Sweden and opened a second office. He's worked with brands such as De La Espada, Foscarini, Salvatore, Hermes, Vietman, and Steinway & Sons, among many, many others. His studio also puts out a podcast called Opinionated, and he's recently released a monograph published by Fiden titled Niketo Studio, Projects, Collaborations, and Conversations in Design. While his talents are undeniable, it's his generosity of spirit that gives his work its soul. And it's his gift for creating meaningful connections and his relentless and unapologetic quest for fun that makes him such a force of magic. Here for yourself, here's Luca.
0: I'm Luca Nicchetto. I love to say that I'm an Italian designer uh, because I'm really proud to come from Italy. I have two offices, one in Stockholm, where I am right now, and another one in Paris. I'm a designer and I'm designing things because I love that. And it's my way to think to build up communities. And I love communities.
1: Hey, Clever Friends. If you'll be in New York City this month for Design Week, I want you to come to the Emerging Designer Showcase. It's at the Javits Center during ICFF on the main stage, Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Think of it kind of like lightning round mini critiques plus professional speed dating all rolled into one. And it's genuinely entertaining. Here's how it works. On stage, five rising design talents will each present their work to a group of illustrious industry professionals, For real talk advice and critical feedback. And for better or worse, this all happens in front of a live audience. We've hand selected a phenomenal group of designers for this year's show, and we have a star-studded lineup of very discerning industry pros who will be up there with them. The Emerging Designer Showcase is presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Again, that's Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. at ICFF at the Javits Center. You can register to attend for free at ICFF.com with our special promo code, D-A-P-M-C-L-E-V-E-R. See you there. I've only known you a little while, but community is definitely central to your being. Before we get to the center of your being, let's go back to the beginning of your being. (laughs) I really need to know about young Luca so I can understand how this Luca came to be. So, take me back to your early years and tell me the story of your childhood.
0: So, I'm born in Venice, but I grew up and raised in Murano, this little island in the Venetian lagoon, famous for glass blowing. For me, seeing a a drawing that was becoming an object was like almost going to buy a piece of bread. My grandfather was a glass blower, my mother decorating glass. 99.99% of my friends and relatives was involved with the glass industry. People say that I was skilled in drawings. And I was super fascinating of Tutankhamun. I was reading a book about Tutankhamun all day. I was so attracted from the beautiness of the Tutankhamun mask and drawing and redrawing and redrawing that. So in the end, when uh, it was the moment to pick a high school, I was kind of good to convince my parents to let me study in a uh, Institute of Art in Venice. Institute of Art at that time was one of the oldest uh, high schools in Italy that teach, um, let's say, to the student to understand different kinds of craftsmanship. So it was a more, more than a high, normal high school. It was a sort of professional high school to prepare you to go to work.
1: A sort of craft vocational High school? Yes. Interesting.
0: And there was different section, so that you have courses or wherever, and then you have your specific uh, workshop based on the section that you pick. And the different sections was, I don't know, ceramics, jewelry, textile, and there was also glass. And of course, I picked glass. <laughs> uh, during the summertime... Uh, when the school was finished, with my classmates, we were doing like sort of ritual. We prepared a folder full of drawings. And each, each of us with this folder, <laughs> grabbing this folder, we were going around Murano, knocking the door of the different factory to sell these drawings to them, but not because we want to be designer. I have no idea that exists a job like that. Was just to make money, to have fun with my friend, to go—I don't know—to dance in disco or whatever.
1: Okay, the entrepreneurial part of you is kicking in early. Uh, <laughs> you knew you were good at drawing, and you knew these factories made things from drawings, so you just went and knocked on the door and said, "Who's in charge? Will you buy my drawing?" Yes.
0: Exactly and like that.
1: W- what was their interest in buying your drawing? They liked it enough to turn it into a product?
0: I mean, I'm talking about end of 80s, beginning of 90s. So Murano was in a kind of much better shape than now. They need somehow this kind of creativity. And more thing they have, more they can be exclusive somehow. Plus, I'm part of a generation that my parents really pushed me every summer since I was 12 to have a summer job. Just to understand, if you want something, you need to have the money to get that. And if you want money, you need to work. I did many different jobs, but this one was the easiest one for me. So it was the one that uh, came from my patient for drawings without any clue in what I was doing. So I can't call that project it was pure drawings, and that was a way to have fun. To be honest, It was a way to have some money in the pocket and going to Yeso that is a beach, uh, to dance with my friends after the graduation of the high school. That was the moment to decide what to to do. I forgot to tell you that I was also a very good basketball player.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask that if you didn't get there. Because I want to know the trajectory on when you earnestly began developing your talent for basketball and really investing in the culture of team sports and the orchestration that goes on on the court, I think is really interesting. So at what point did this start seeping into your consciousness and really influencing your thoughts? and your physicality <laughs> I was
0: always one of the tallest one when, uh, when I was a kid and my mother she don't like uh, soccer only because otherwise she need to wash too much my, my, you know, my uniform <laughs> and stuff. So she rather, but this is the truth, she rather preferred that I play basket that was a little bit more clean in that sense. I started to train myself on basket. And later on, I discovered that I was also quite good. I didn't discover by myself. I discovered mostly because other people, or other teams was asking to my parents if if I can join their teams.
1: You were in demand. <laughs> I,
0: yeah, yeah. I was not um, I was not conscious about that at all. For me, it was just sport and fun with my, my with my teammates. And then uh, the major team of, uh, of Venice that was playing the, in the big league, uh, they somehow trade me. And so from Murano, I moved to play with the young teams of uh, this, yeah, like a club. In this club, there was the best player of the Venice area. So I started to, you know, knowing other people, understanding what I was good to do, what I was bad to do, or w- what I can improve. Also, the training was in the beginning was. Two per weeks, then become three per weeks, then become five per weeks, then become six. So I was the entire week playing basketball. And I was beautiful in one side, extremely hard to the other side because I see all my friends have fun uh, meeting girls, hanging out dating with maybe girls that I liked it, but I can have any chance because I was training myself. So I, I find, in a way, a sort of uh, dedication in what I was doing. So I, I was extremely focused because I said, if I don't have fun with my friend, at least I need to be very good in what I'm doing.
1: You are aware of what you are sacrificing and you are channeling that energy.
0: And that moment was also uh, the moment that I realized a sort of leadership roots that the teammates was gave to me, not because I was the best player, but they listen to me. When I protect them, they appreciate that. When I insult uh, another player of the other team, they, they, you know they protect my, my back. So there was a sort of chemistry that you start to realize that is there. And then later, I'm talking when I was mostly a teenager, I was arriving almost to decide I want to be professional and there was a chance to that, or I go in the direction of my skills, in my, let's say, what I want to do in terms of education. Because mm-hmm. I, I knew at that time that to do the two things together was impossible for me because...
1: Because they required so much dedication.
0: Exactly. And, and also for this mindset that I developed to be very focused in one thing that I want to do. And I don't like to lose. <laughs> Then I understand seeing also with my teammates, I realized that I was good, but not enough good to be one of not only professional players, but one of the best professional players. So I say, if I can't be like that, let's try to be to the other side. And that was the moment that I start to check what kind of university uh, where to go to study. I don't want to study architecture because for me it was super boring uh, and I visualize architecture, not for the beautiness that you can do through architectural project, but mostly was not the output because I see only geometrical line and people drawing, you know, like in a CAD, a plan or a, and that was not really
1: me. Yeah. It's very abstract for, for a very long time. Few architects actually get to realize glorious buildings.
0: Yeah, and then there was the Art Academy but then I don't want to be an artist. I don't see myself as a painter or as a sculptor. And then I discovered that at the University of Venice, they start a new program that was called Disegno Industriale Industrial Design. So I start to read through the the program uh, the description of the program and they said It's not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also close from where I live. I can stay here. My friend is here. Let's give a shot to that. And the first six months was a trauma, a big trauma. I want to quit. I really want to quit. It was so boring. It was horrible. It was about uh, learning 3D modeling. There was the first 3D studio that for to do a rendering, you need to open the computer and leave the computer work for five days to have a picture like that.
1: Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was rough. <laughs>
0: yeah. They were teach me what is a pixel, what is a byte, something that for me was completely useless. The, there was another professor about uh, mater- material and process was too abstract. So there was not really, okay, I understand this process and where I apply that. And so there was no connection. Thanks God, my exam after this first semester was okay. And then give me a little bit of energy to say, okay, let's try to finish at least the first year. And then I will take a decision. And the second semester... There was two old professors. Both of them were retired, but they teach for patients. And one was Antonio Davanzo. He was the former assistant of Carlo Scarpa in Venice. And the second one was uh, Vittorio Rossi, that was the former assistant of Franco Albini in Venice. So these two old men... <laughs> Open the biggest door ever for me that was not teach me nothing they just made me curious and that was the trigger that really pushed me to be focused in industrial design to be curious
1: How did they help that? How did they encourage your curiosity <laughs>
0: Antonio Davanza was teaching me uh, interior architecture. I was sketching all the time uh, for to do these uh, projects. Uh, I was sketching the bricks and everything. And I remember that he was passing through the different, let's say, desk where we were drawing. And when he came to my desk, he stopped. He took a pencil that was on my desk and he hurt me so bad with this pencil in my head, and I look at him and I say,
1: "He just whapped you with the pencil, like right upside your head." Okay.
0: And I look at him. I say, "Sorry. What, what, what is the reason?" And he look at me. And say, "It's pretty clear that you are talented, but you are not." Checking. you are not reading books, you are not uh, checking how a section of a metal profile is done. Uh, you need to read this book, you need to go to visit this uh, metal supplier that was the supplier of the Olivetti store of Carlos Scarpa in Venice. So he started to give me all a bunch of, you know, tips. And I said, oh, thank you, professor, part of my my head, but the rest <laughs> is fine now. <laughs> This kind of attention, also kind of a rude one, but when someone is rude with you, sometimes because he really cares of you. And so give me really so I start to I went to the metal supplier, it was an old man called Zanon that showed me all the profile, how he was welding, etc cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: I love that you remember his name.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I, I I learned so much from these people. Much more than what I learned at university, to be honest. <laughs> and so this was the, f- the first situation that really pushed me to, to be curious. Uh, Vittorio Rossi was more theoretical in a way more human centered. So it was, everything was very humanistic, it was not in doing things, but was more thinking about who we are as as a human being.
1: Why we do things, what we need, how we meet those needs. Yeah.
0: And that was also another trigger because I never asked that question to to myself before. So that's like, oh, wow, that is cool. It's fun that two old men that is around 80s are the most younger one inside this uh, university. And so then I... I decided to continue and I decided to continue also my ritual of knocking the door of the different different factory in Murano (laughs) until the was the year before my graduation. I have a old friend of mine that was working for Salviati. That was one of the most prestigious brands in Murano at that time and Salviati was collaborating with artists like Amish Kapoor. Uh, there was Tom Thomas Sederwick, There was Ross Lovegrove. There was uh, Ingo Maurer, Alessandro Mendili, Tom Dixon. So a lot of people that I was studying in a way or observing what they were doing in the magazine, etc., they was working for Salviati. Uh, I went to Salviati thanks to the introduction of my old friend Dario and he introduced me to the art director of, uh, of the company it was Simon Moore Simon was from England and he was a professor of, uh, at Royal College of Art I present to Simon my famous folder full of drawings and uh, Simon told me oh wow, I like it I will buy everything And I say, wow, my summer would be amazing. (laughs) And then I say, I don't need to go, you know, with other tours. It's done, perfect. But then he told me a sentence that changed my life because he told me, it's pretty clear that you are talented, but it's also clear that you don't understand nothing of what a company needs. But I want to show you, respect for your talent. But I want to ask you, only if you want, because I know that you are from Murano, if you have time, you can pass here in the factory once per week or twice per week. And I will explain you what we need.
1: Whoa, that's an incredible opportunity. Yeah, so my first
0: reaction was, who is this crazy guy that spent money... <laughs> and then you want you to want also teach me how to do things. I like, okay, that is cool. Let's try. So I started every week visiting the factory, and I met all these guys that I mentioned before. First one was Ross Lovegrove. Then I met Ingo Maurer, uh, Tom Dixon, Anish Kapoor, and it was amazing because it was amazing. There was like a hero for me physically there. All of them were so nice with me, all of them. I was asking immediately advice. Well, I remember to Ross, I was asking, Ross, listen, but if I want to work for Issey Yaka, what I need to do? <laughs> And he was looking at me and said, are you crazy? Uh, maybe you can start with another company or, you know. And But all of them was so nice. And what for me was incredible was also to have the chance as a young student designer, wherever I was, to observe the different personalities and the different output and how they present themselves when they present ideas. So there was... People presenting sketches, people presenting beautiful rendering, other technical drawings, other just talking, other just sketching on the floor. So it was interesting for me to see this uh, incredible, you know, variety of output. So I continued this my let's call I call it my PhD six months before to finish my uh, study at college. Finally, I, I had the chance to receive the first brief from Simon, where he was asked me to use an ancient technique uh, that was creating bubble inside the glass and to d- design a new collection of bases. So I designed this guy, <laughs> this guy,
1: <laughs> Listeners can't see that, Luca.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You have to get I the book. <laughs> did, I, did, I designed this collection of bases called Mille Bolle, that means Thousand Bubble, like a song, Italian song. And this collection became quickly the bestseller of the company. That was the moment where, for the first time, I hear about royalties and contracts. <laughs> and Simon was telling me If you want that we pay you For these products You need to sign a contract And you need to be able to invoice us I said And how I can do that <laughs> I have no idea And so I I start to inform myself about that So I and I open my freelance position Only for that reason And when I open my freelance position I realized that fuck it, I need to finish college and now I'm starting to pay taxes by myself even before that I finish my graduation. And that was the moment that I realized that I need to work hard in finding other projects.
1: So the royalties that were streaming in from their most successful product was just a taste of the sort of business structure that you knew you were going to need to build in order to be sustainable in the design world.
0: Yeah, I have no idea about any kind of business. I was totally naive. I really like this motto of learning by doing, even more in what we are doing. I think is a perfect motto. And this is how I built my, my career. I did a lot of mistakes. A lot.
1: Ooh, ooh, I love a good mistake story. Tell me a mistake.
0: I don't know how to start it. Trusting the first person that approached me to design a chair and designing the chair, uh, giving the project, helping him to find the supplier, etc cetera, etc cetera, without any form of contract.
1: Oh yeah, that's a tough one, but gotta learn that. <laughs>
0: And then, then the chair is gone, including also the, the, my names and my copyright, everything. Then other mistakes, uh, starting a collective studio with other designers without to really know each other properly and figuring out that we were so different that in the end we were almost close to destroying our friendship for, for, our, for this job.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Those are rough lessons to learn, but are like really important ones as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't regret that this happened because after that I was much more, uh, objective in, uh, in what to pick, uh, and what to say, maybe not, it's not the right moment or let's sign a contract before to start everything else.
1: ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit ICFF.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters ICFF.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. but there were also successes that sort of propelled you up to the point of starting your own studio so what what did, where did you get your traction from and how did you keep growing your passion for the field even while you know it's not easy and you're making these mistakes that are setbacks but good ones
0: i think i have a disease that i'm not able to stay for a long time in my comfort zone
1: you have an itchy soul that's what I uh, call that <laughs>
0: yeah. I was always uh, attracted for things that I never experienced and i um, in every level These really pushed me to explore different uh, opportunities different uh, typologies I remember when I had the opportunity, I was working with Cassina that is uh, I mean, it's a dream for a lot of designers and especially for Italians Yeah. and I was pretty young but at the same year that I started to work with them, there was a tiny startup that approached me it was 2012 that was a young, let's say, distributor in China that asked me to design their Building their showroom, and I say, Guys, but you know that I'm not an architect. I say, Yes, but you can do it. And so I jumped <laughs> and, we and I was traveling in Beijing once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And after three months, uh, there was a building designed by us. I don't think it's a great building, but I did a building.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Good thing you didn't go to architecture school. It would have taken you so much longer to get something built.
0: <laughs> so, I don't know. I think there there is at the end a lot of gut feeling, right? So, you need to trust your instinct and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but at least you trust yourself. And then it's so fun, you know, because this pushes you in direction that is not just collecting names in a portfolio or cool collaboration or whatever. But it's really like uh, having the opportunity to work for big brand or very interesting brand or with brand that nobody knows or doing fashion, doing architecture, working in Botswana. So I don't judge what I'm doing to a single product. I like to see the, the whole package
1: <laughs> The aerial view, the macro.
0: This is my project. It's not the single one, but it's the entire thing. So this is my universe, let's say.
1: You know, I think a lot of people take a lot longer to get to that point, to recognize that they are actually the architects of their own lives, creating this universe of interesting projects, of of people you like to work with, of adventurous, you know, deals and, and design challenges to get involved in does require a kind of improvisational, instinctual speed of decision-making, of understanding. Do you think any of that came from basketball?
0: No, I think it's coming mostly from um, the glass industry because um, glass it is a beautiful material It's magic But it's, it's liquid So it's a sort of Honey that crystallizes Through the touch Of the, the people You need to create A relationship With the glass blower That is in the front of 1000 degrees in yeah. in, in, in. And you need to be able To transfer to this person What is your idea accepting the compromise because we we'll never be exactly what you want but will be very close and even more you need to have a process of decision making so quick because in one second if you don't say stop the shape is different
1: yeah it's very time sensitive <laughs>
0: for sure so i think this kind of lesson is probably connect to, to what we were talking before. But it's not only that. I need to tell you one thing that no, not many people know. I was coming in New York many times for different clients. And uh, once, I was with one, one of my clients, and he was telling me that he was working with a life coach. And I say, a life coach? So it means uh, uh, someone that is doing a sort of therapy or session with you to help you say, yeah, kind of. It's a person that will help you, you know, to be more focused in a moment that you need to deal with many situations. So that is interesting that a professional person, manager, was working with a life coach to help him to deal with business problems, etc., so I came back in Europe and I was start to think I have a counter that is a consultant. I have a lawyer that is a consultant. I have a PR that sometimes is a consultant. Maybe I need a consultant also for this. It's nothing bad. I called this friend of mine and said, Can you give me the name? Her name is Ozzy. She's based in New York. And I started to work with her three years and a half ago, approximately. And she really, really helped me.
1: Wow. How so?
0: I mean, she was so good to bring my frustration with my team, with my client. I was going the route that now... If I'm looking at that, I would say, but why I was so crazy? I was crazy because I was in in a washing machine. I was not able to...
1: Thinking in circles and yeah.
0: So she was so good in saying, Luca, you are good. It's nothing bad. You just need to think about that it's not always responsibility of other people. Depends on how you you, you create a relation with other people how you ask things, how you feel things, how you cut maybe some relation, how you negotiate. So we start to work in different methods, first with my internal team, after how I can deal with the client, and of course, also with my private life, because it's connected.
1: Yeah, it's all intertwined. And of course, anything you learn about relating to others in your studio, of course, applies to relating to others at home in your most intimate relationships.
0: And this helped me a lot, especially during COVID. And because she really told me, I said, now is your time. I said, for what? For to do what? She <laughs> said, yeah, you were complaining that you were always traveling, that you don't have time to drawing anymore, etc. Now is your time. And then you say, fuck, you're right. It's my time. Finally, I can go back and doing what I love most. In fact, the two years of COVID for me was probably the two best years in terms of creativity.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah.
0: I was somehow curating or healing myself through the trauma that was outside to creating things.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: So I was happy. I, was, uh, I have my schedule, I have my team sync. Uh, um, of course, in the beginning, I was worried uh, about uh, the economical situation. I can deal with that, that, and that. But when I figured out that I can survive at least two years with the saving that I had, then I say, if in two years I'm not able to figure out the situation, is correct that I'm going bankruptcy.
1: <laughs> you <just> accept it. <laughs> it's sort of like, well, if you let the gl- glass cool too fast or drop it, it's going to shatter. <laughs> yeah,
0: Ozzy was my, my star in a way. And so uh, a lot of good things that we were able to do uh, recently is for sure thanks also to, to, to her.
1: I'm really happy that you told this story, because I think there is a misconception out there about how we need to do things ourselves. I mean, we're starting, I think, to understand mental health a little bit better and, and give that more space in the public dialogue I think it's impossible and stupid for us to think that you could go to design school and learn to be a designer, but not learn about the design business, which is something you had to figure out on your own, not learn how to be necessarily a manager, run a studio, have all these relationships, keep all of these projects and, and balls in the air um, and know how to do that perfectly. Like we, we do need training in that regard. And you telling this story also probably alleviates like, I feel a collective sigh of relief around the world of people listening and realizing, ah, I just need help. It's not that I'm supposed to know how to do all of this or that I'm supposed to be good at every aspect of all of this. I just need help.
0: First, I agree 300% with you. Second, I think, um, the design world for a long time since probably Stark appear celebrate the the designer as the face of the object, as the human that created that object, especially in the nineties, generation older than me, become a sort of superstar. A little bit what happened in the fashion with the supermodel. The truth is, that pushed, in my opinion, each of us to be very isolated, to think only about our little, let's say, kingdom, drive by how many publications we have, how much successful you are, successful that I don't understand, by the way, from who is coming saying if you are successful or not, without to consider that... You can be that kind of person in a community that appreciates what you are doing. And this community is the one that supports you or not. And right now, I think, is the moment to support each other because that era is gone.
1: Hallelujah. Amen. Preach. I think that without a kind of collective Discourse that is centered in, of course, celebrating each other, but also holding each other accountable. Um, Not only do we strengthen our community and our connective tissues, but we also elevate the field and the craft and its power to actually be a healing agent in society as opposed to an extractive agent. It can be generative and healing if we place a lot of the power in this equitable exchange of intellect, emotion, creative labor, and discourse.
0: I agree with you. I think it's absolutely what we need to do, but there's still a bit too much hypocrisy.
1: Well, that's part of the holding each other accountable, right? Yeah, <laughs>
0: We need action. We need to be accessible to, to people. And what when I'm saying that is, um, uh, there is no problem for me to invite friends of mine to work with my client, also if I'm not the art director. And we are different. We are different people. We are doing different things. And I rather prefer that I have a friend working with the same client than to have an enemy, for example. <laughs> We need to talk much more open about many things: uh, how that client treat you, how much they pay you. Just you know, to to to, to be to balance the thing. To, to uh, if you keep these secrets, then there is no negotiation that will allow us, especially the young generation, to step up to really being able to live with this profession.
1: Agreed. If we sort of protect that information, which is culturally we've been sort of programmed to do, we also keep ourselves in a a position of less power than if we share that information. If we, if we help to actively engage in the distribution of resources, including that kind of information. And as you are so generous, your clients actually connecting your clients to other designers that you have already vetted for their integrity and their talent and, you know, their ability to deliver. But
0: then it's a karma in a way, because when you are doing that, at the end of the day, in one year, in three years, in five years, this is coming back to you. Uh, Maybe not with a new client, but maybe with uh, something else. And, And think about, also, if we are thinking more into the business side. Now we are small studio because most of the designers are, let's say, small studios. I have a studio in Stockholm and one in Venice. We are eight, nine people. Most of my clients, of course, is around Europe. And then, of course, I have a client in the States, in Asia, etc. But if I'm partnering with other studio in Asia or other studio in the States. Would be also more sustainable because I don't need to travel.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, good point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But not only for the sustainability point of view, but it can be very interesting, not create I mean Sana Sejima. It is an association of different studios of architecture that when they need to do bigger projects, they work together. When they need to do smaller projects, they work separately. Think about this in a bigger scale in terms of design uh, studios, friends, people that are sharing things. I mean, you can have an impact in the world.
1: Yes, you can have much bigger impact.
0: 100%. I don't know if this would never happen, but... I like to think that um, at least to try to create this kind of connection, then let's see what happens. But I, I really enjoy connecting people.
1: As I was researching you and, and looking into the way you work, it seems to me that that connecting of dots, of people, of capabilities, of various aspects of the whole project, but mostly the relationships, that connecting is kind of your specialty.
0: I love people.
1: I mean, <laughs> well, that's uh, good.
0: <laughs> on a sort of level, and I'm glad to, to be considering that level, we are all equal talented. So if you are able to recognize the talent, the talent is always different from your talent. As I say, we are different people. Once plus one... Is not equal to, but is equal to three. So if this, you work with this idea and you connect it, the result will be always more amazing than what you can do alone.
1: It's the power of compound interest.
0: <laughs> Probably this I learned playing basketball. Everyone has a different rule. Uh, and when you put this, you can't have a team with only stars.
1: Well, and the assists and the rebounds are just as, as important as the baskets. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And also the guy that is sitting in the bench for 39.8 uh, minutes, they play 20 seconds. That 20 seconds can be the most important 20 seconds of the game. It's just so fascinating for me to see what can happen connecting people. It's like a physical brainstorming, no? Because thinking the thing is taking shape, is creating a object, is creating a scenography, is creating a installation. Is it, it, by the way, when you have a studio with people in the studio, uh, it's not only my job; it's also the work of the other people in my studio that somehow influence myself.
1: Of course, yeah, all those perspectives.
0: People from different cultures, uh, I see things in a way, but uh, a person from the States see it in a different way or a person from Asia or China in another way. And you need to train yourself not in judging, not that is right or that is wrong, but just say, okay, there is different angle and appreciate that different angle. So I think at the end of the day, you will be a better person, not a better designer, but a better person.
1: I agree a hundred and fifty thousand percent. And I think that, I mean, that's something that was, I think, readily apparent when I met you. And thank you again for participating in our emerging designer showcase and, sh- you know, sharing your wisdom with emerging designers. I think that was really cool of you. But what I noticed about you personally is your, it's a kind of generosity of spirit, but but even more than that, uh, you, you scan your environment and people that you meet for their promise, for their interest, for their best qualities. And you seem to find those rather than looking for their flaws or shortcomings or sort of snap judgment of their character. And in doing so, I think you also see the world around you in a much sort of more richer, technicolor vibrant way because you're appreciating the humanity of everyone yes and no oh okay what's the no
0: the no is i also sometimes jump into the judging people from maybe a designer maybe for something that i don't like or uh journalists because ask me very boring question or people that maybe just uh, use a tone of voice that I don't like but immediately after this feeling of disliking (laughs) I try to look say okay fine let's look what I like and I always as you say try to find the positive side because I learn by doing and I learn by mistake that if I'm not in this kind of mood in appreciating people and and being, I don't want to abuse the word happy, but uh, to be in a sort of, uh, in a good mood. I'm not able to do my job. I'm not a good person because I have this gray, you know, uh, shade on me. And I'm not able to, to to have fun. And for me, as I say in the beginning, to consider myself uh, and, and what I'm doing as sort of privilege, you need to have fun. It's an obligation. <laughs> for me, it's an obligation to have fun. It's an obligation to... See the good in people. There, there is no time to put my energy in negative things.
1: It is an energy drain.
0: It's destroying you.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. With that in mind, can you give me a snapshot of what's going on in your studio currently? I would like to know kind of the aerial view. You've got a bunch of different projects going on. You're kind of a creative or art director for a bunch of different brands. And your creative role in that is as much a designer as it is a connector and manager. So, yeah, can you give me a a snapshot of what your life looks like?
0: Honestly, right now is a mess because we are...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Milan. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) But uh, apart the mess of preparing Milan, we are working in, um, mostly in the furniture field that's still one of our main, uh, let's call it, market or output. So for for, uh, in Milan, for example, we are going to do an installation for La Manufature that is a... French brand that I'm art directing inside the Museum Pol di Pezzoli. Then we are doing one of my favorite projects because it's connecting dots. Yeah. An ins- installation with uh, a brand that is called Vitales Barberis Canonico. It's the oldest producer in the world of wool textile for high-end tailor shop and fashion brand. We are creating a fantastic world that is sort of gentleman club where there is nine anthropomorphic lamps that still symbolize hypothetical characters that are going to this gentleman club like a detective or a teacher or a musician or the businessman. And these lamps are dressed using the textile of the brand with their clothes, their dress, to represent the character of
1: that Mm. specific. You're not afraid of character and story, that's for sure.
0: No, I like to do storytelling projects. And this case is almost more more than the object or the scenography. It was more really to, to create um, a story, uh, a experience. And then, yeah, then we yeah. have uh, the booth for uh, Wittmann and bunch of products for Wittmann. That is another uh, is about Austrian brand that we are, are directing. In, in uh, New York, we present our first outdoor kitchen in Italy, we are presenting our first kitchen for Scavolini. And then we have sofas, chairs. Oh, that is also nice. another project that is cool. is um, a chess set that is called Flirt. So is uh, assembling different typology of products, like a chair, a table, a chess set, and a lamps. You create a bubble. You create a space environment almost, just putting this object together.
1: A world of sorts.
0: Yeah, and, um, and we did that for Salvatore. And then uh, we are working in the music industry and
1: uh, Yes, tell me about the Steinway collaboration.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> we are going to launch uh, a piano with uh, a limited edition piano with Steinway and Son's in, uh, during the fall. And the we Collaboration born uh, in a funny way <laughs> because I landed in New York, I take a picture and I post in my Instagram with, uh, let's say, it was good morning New York or something like that. And then I take a cab to, to, to go to Mark Thorpe and Claire Place and I was bored in the cab uh, with the traffic and checking everything that I can in my phone. And I checked LinkedIn, and I saw a message from uh, Robert Polan, that was the vice president of Custom Piano of St. Louis, that was asking me for an appointment or a cafe because mm-hmm. he saw my post in Instagram.
1: Oh, he a- so he so he'd been following you and saw that you were in New York, and so yeah.
0: And then I say yes, straight away. The day after I met him, and I asked about how you, why you text me, how was the. And he, he told me that he was uh, scouting for a while uh, some design, potential designer for Stanway, and my names pop up different times from different person in his radar. And when he started to follow me the day after, I was in New York. Oh so it a,
1: wow, kismet! Yeah, yeah.
0: So it was pure coincidence. He asked me if I want to try, and there was no commitment. And I say, "This is one lifetime project. Of course, I would try." And I try. He liked it, and then there was uh, uh, some correction to do. Uh, so there was a little bit of up and down in the beginning. He really liked my way also that we were talking of connecting people and suggesting working with this one. So in the end, he asked me also to be a sort of consultant as a as a sort of creative director consultant for, for the custom piano. And so right now, uh, part of the piano, I'm also doing this consultancy and Rob, become also a friend.
1: Yeah. And I read something in your book where you said something along the lines that the friendship is the engine that powers the work. And I thought that was really beautiful because it speaks to the nature of when you're, when you're truly invested in somebody else, you want to be your best and do your best work with them and for them. And It also empowers the work with a kind of joy of community. I don't know. It just really resonated with me when I read that because it really did feel to me like you're not just a client or designer. You are kind of making this large family around the world. That's beautiful.
0: Oh, thank you. I work with people that I was not able to build a relationship. Yeah. And the result was always a shit. But maybe it's because of me. I can't work with someone that I don't feel trustness and and a, a relation that we are building something together. We are partnering crime. We have also fun together. And when there is bad moment, we will help each other. When there is the good moment, we celebrate together. And for me, for example, when I was in New York a couple of weeks ago, and I had the chance to see the the, the prototype, the piano, for the first time.
1: Woo! how exciting.
0: Yes. <laughs> for me, one of the most beautiful things was going in a bar in Brooklyn with the team of Rob and my team and singing in a karaoke. That, for me, is exactly how also the guys in my studio build a relationship with the guys in Stanway. And that is amazing. It's even more amazing than the piano himself, because the piano r- is a result of this, not the other way around.
1: So quick backstory question. Like, ha- Do you believe your work with Rosie also helped for you to build this friendship with Rob?
0: Was Rob to introduce me to Ozzy?
1: Isn't that amazing? Okay. Your friendship is also based on this mutual desire to be the best people you can be. And so of course, there's going to be some respect there if you can see, you know, the other person working on overcoming, you know, their challenges or the shortcomings.
0: Yes, but I think it's also dedicating your time and your um, network to to, to people. For example, uh, I remember just before COVID, I had a a trip in the States, first in New York, and then me and Rob, we flew together in Los Angeles and we went to Pasadena and Beverly Hills, looking at the and Son's showrooms, meeting the management there. And then uh, there was a party in Hollywood, Casa Perfect. I received the invitation, and so I said to Rob, come with me. <laughs> that was a very beautiful moment because we were both, in a way, out of our routine, and was a way also to enjoy the time together in a beautiful location. And uh, talking about design, there was some of my pieces that I did. I designed for De La Espada there. So I was showing to him these. There was our common friend, Maggie, that was there. And yes, know Maggie!
1: It. Shout out to Maggie! <laughs> it
0: was beautiful. And, and I think in the end, relationship and... Uh, In in our job, you build also through this kind of situation, not only when you are working something.
1: So you are not just working on something, you are actually experiencing life together. Yes.
0: I try to do all the time, to be honest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not some people are just have their head in the sand. I mean, experiencing life is sort of way too general, because of course, that's what we're all doing every day. But... When you are in this relationship that's a professional one, and you get a chance to mix it up in a way that exposes, you know, other sides of your worlds to each other, I do think it helps to facilitate the, the deepening of the mutual intimacy.
0: Yes, but it's also could be also a very fragile moment, because you are
1: open. Vulnerable.
0: They are very vulnerable. And you need to learn to stay open because it's very easy to put an armature after that you or someone hurts you a couple of times. So you need to keep going. It's a sort of exercise to, to stay open. And uh, with the risk that sooner or later someone will hurt you, but you need to look the positive side. There is much better positive side than the, the the bad one.
1: What's the positive side? The positive
0: side is that in the end, if you are open, you build up people that really care about you deeply. Doesn't matter what you are doing. And the bad side is there would be some asshole that <laughs> don't understand that.
1: There's always an asshole always an asshole creeps <laughs> into the mix <laughs> there,
0: there, is, there, there is always but, th- but that you need to consider that is part of our life there will be always someone that hurt us and thanks God there is these people because then I mean you can show that they were wrong or maybe they were right but for you they were wrong and, and you move on so it's also, they can be also a trigger to, to be a better person.
1: Absolutely. And they can also teach you a lot about your power to heal yourself from the hurt. A hundred percent. So I want to talk about your book because um, it's really refreshing. First of all, it's it's your first monograph. It's recently released by Fiden. It's called Niketo Studio Projects, Collaborations, and Conversations in Design. And I particularly appreciate the conversations part. Um, I know that as designers, we're all accustomed to beautiful object porn and glossy photos, but you kind of took us inside your, your process and showed us a chronologue of your projects, but also the sketches and some of the contextual information that led to it. But then you also. Through the two co-authors, you also um, included your relationships and those connections and those relationships and how they informed you at that stage in your life. I think it just tells a very honest story of who you are. And that honesty, I think, helps to connect with the work. There are also some really important lessons that are in there that I think is really interesting. A lot of the conversations also kind of give us a window into various aspects of the industry that isn't necessarily always visible. And that's fascinating. But it also helps us see a window into your soul and the things that matter to you and how you've evolved as a person and as a practitioner. And so the book feels like it has a lot of heart. I, I found myself. Skipping past the pictures and getting right into the text, which is kind of the opposite for most design books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not that the pictures aren't great, they're glorious, but, um, but the text was just wonderfully honest and transparent picture of you. And I think that's incredibly vulnerable and important to be that way in a, in a book like that so that we can have a, an actual contextual reference point for what it takes to do what you do.
0: I appreciate that you catch that side (laughs) because it's really what I want to achieve with with, with this book. It's built as a diary. It's it's like when you are a teenager that you are collecting the picture of your heroes or wherever you put in your diaries. But through my project, and I want to show also the dirty side of, of of design practice because a lot of time people are talking about us as a brand. I'm not a brand.
1: Nor I'm a are person. you a machine. Yeah, no. Sometimes they talk about labor as machines too, and that really sort of irritates me because creative labor is is not mechanized.
0: No, and you can be a brand being yourself. And I think it's the easiest way, for me at least. There is other colleagues of mine that are fantastic. They build up a sort of character of themselves that is the public face of them, and then privately they're another person. I don't know how to do that. I always suffer of double personality, I think, in doing it. So I'm not... Able to do that kind of exercise. So I say, doing this book, I want really to give a sort of contest of the moment when I was operating and the moment that I was doing a sort of product or projects and the people that helped me to do that. Because without them, I would never be able to do that. Also, talking about a sort of topics was. I hope that a young designer or someone that is looking at this beautiful world of design, because it's amazing, can be inspired by some adventure of myself and thinking say, oh, shit, you can do this also in a different way. You can have your own path. You don't need to be that city or that other one. So do your things and be yourself. The book is really born... And develop as a project, so I just prepare the ingredients, and then <laughs> I give the ingredient to Max Fraser and Francesca Piki uh, that are friends, and and then Henrik Nigren that is the graphic designer. So we work together, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be, you know the the designer that is doing the book by himself. So he's treating the book as a catalog of the macho performance that he had. So I say, guys, this is what I did. Now you need to judge me and picking what for you is good. And I will be totally fine with that because this is what I want.
1: I mean, in many ways, that's a more accurate assessment is how you're perceived by the outside world than how you see yourself. I mean,
0: <laughs> exactly. So otherwise why I need to do a book where I'm talking with myself. <laughs>
1: yeah, that sounds to me, that sounds so boring. Not you talking to yourself, but like if I had to just create something by talking to myself, I would just really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, just,
0: just a couple of hours ago, I was checking the press release that we need to add to our newsletter and I was bored to read about myself. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe it sounds very, I would say, hypocrite what I'm saying, but I'm bored <laughs> about that. I would love to have someone that came a couple of days in my studio and described what I did uh, without that I need to say nothing, because then in the end is what the normal people will
1: understand. Yes. That's very self-aware of you. I mean, you have exciting projects coming out. Your studio feels like it's thriving and healthy. Are you still working with Rosie? Yeah. That part of your life is on track. What would you want more of? What What are you hoping for? Where would you point yourself for the future?
0: I think next step would be probably doing something that for a long time I did for the others. And probably I would do more exploring fields that I never explored before. These I will keep going, for sure. And then probably I would love one day to do a a little brand, a little company, but not with the goal to become another moi or with as Marcel did or another Tom Dix, not, not not with that goal. I want to do something like, like a little gem, you know, something very tiny but very special in terms of object without having limitation would be limited, would be gallery pieces, or would be serious pieces, would be fashion, would be eyewear, would be fragrances. I don't care. I I want to do something, could be also a recipe to, a new recipe to do a cake. I just love the idea to do something that is a celebration of creativity and run by myself.
1: I like that. Small, special projects that celebrate creativity and become something meaningful that somebody else can
0: work and then with. Invite oh, and then invite all my friends, including you.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm already thinking about Good. what I'm getting kind of tribute. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Luca, you are a force of magic. <laughs> Thank you for, sh- for sharing your story and your generosity of spirit with me. I really, really appreciate it.
0: But well, thank you Amy. It was super nice to talk with you and I really hope to see you soon.
1: Thanks for listening. To see images of Luca, his teenage basketball team, his work and learn more about him, read our show post on our website. Click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app or go to cleverpodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our newsletter. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Clever on Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us by rating our show, writing a review, or chatting us up on social. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you can find us at Clever Podcast. You can find me at Amy Devers. Clever is hosted and produced by me, Amy Devers, with editing by Rich Straffolino, production assistance from Ilana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011.